Joshua chapter 2. I want to just, I'll be looking at several passages this morning, and uh, this is really an introduction to uh, the message that will follow. Uh, This is going to be one of my points in the message, and I decided, you know what, I'm just going to take the Sunday school time to kind of have an introductory uh, time for the message this morning, kind of get our thoughts uh, going in this in this line. Um, one of the passages that we'll be looking at in, uh, in the main message is that uh, God has reconciled us to himself by Christ. And uh, um, this concept of the world. I know a lot of times we talk about John 3.16, for God so loved the world, and we explain what the world is in there. But there are passages that talk about Christ died for the world. Um, he's the propitiation yeah. for the sins of the, yeah. not the world, the whole world. And so what we're going to do this, this morning is we're going to consider what that is in both of these messages. But the first one that I want to, way in which I want to look at this is, you know, there's a lot of confusion among Christians uh, during the time of Israel. God's not done with Israel. Just put that out there up front. I don't want you to be uh, misled by me, but um, God is not dealing with the Jews now as he did in times past. That's a fact. Uh, Scripture backs that up. The gospel has gone to the Gentiles, and primarily most of the people being saved and added to the Lord's church are, are Gentiles, but God does still save Jews. And the, the what I want us to consider this morning is that Salvation has never been exclusionary in this sense that there has never been in the history of mankind a certain kind of people that God only saves. There's never been a time where he only saves a particular ethnicity. And that includes the time of the nation of Israel. I go, well, but Israel was God's people. And God said things like, if my people which are called by my name, you know, and so forth, and... Um, and so God's people were the Jews. And the reason I've actually had discussions, multiple discussions with people about the fact of the question, whether God's actually saved people that weren't Jews in the Old Testament. And, um, and so I want to, and so where did the, where did the Jews even in Jesus time? It, it's almost like the disciples even were surprised when God would deal with a Gentile. But God had been saving Gentiles all through the time of the nation of Israel. And actually in Jesus' ministry, he just kept doing what he had always been doing. He primarily, in his earthly ministry, was working with the Jews. He came into his own and his own received him not. But he he did reach out and save a few Gentiles even in his own ministry. Um, So let's take a look at a few of the Gentiles and the types of people that God saved in the Old Testament. So the first person I want to look at is Rahab. Rahab the harlot of Jericho. Joshua chapter 2, verse 9. The spies had come uh, to spy out the city. Israel's about to go in and begin taking over what became the the nation of Israel. And uh, it says in verse 9, And she said unto the men, the spies, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. Notice that's present tense. She, as a Gentile harlot, living in a wicked city of Jericho, she said, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. She believed God. And uh, oh, how did she hear 
about this God? How did she even know? Because the fame of the God of Israel had been spread. It says going on, um, I know. Maybe the city doesn't know, but I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. Why? Why are they so afraid of Israel? For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. It was a known fact in the Gentile world. The Lord did that. Now, the Gentiles weren't falling all over themselves and trying to get down to the people of the nation of Israel so they could hear about this God, and we want to have the same God as you. But the Gentiles knew that the Lord God of Israel was real. And they, the Gentiles knew, the people of the city of Jericho knew, that the Lord had dried up the Red Sea 40 years before, approximately, when you came out of Egypt. And what ye did to the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And so, when we consider um, Rahab, let, now go over to John, Joshua chapter 6. <clears throat> God paid attention to her. Uh, God cared about her. Joshua chapter 6 and verse 17, it says, When instructions are being given concerning going in, it says, And the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. Well, why did she, why did she hide the messengers? Because she believed God. Because she had faith in God. Her faith is what produced those actions. God did not save her because she hid the spies. She hid the spies because she believed in God. A harlot who had repented and believed in the God of Israel. Now, we know this is true because I'll just read this, but Hebrews chapter 11 says, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not, and notice, she perished not with them that believed not. The people of the city, oh, city of Jericho perished because they believed not. And, uh, and so, but she believed. And so, it's not that those people didn't have a chance. Those people didn't want to have the Lord God of Israel. And so, she believed and they didn't. That was the only difference between whether she could be saved and she would be saved and she would not be saved. Is that she believed God, she had faith, and we know that God gave her that faith, um, but she believed and she was saved. This theme of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, believing in God, putting our faith in the God of the Bible, this is not New Testament doctrine. People were saved in the Old Testament. We always talk about Abraham was saved by faith. Uh, Rahab was saved by faith. It's the same faith. It doesn't matter what ethnicity, it doesn't matter Jew or Gentile. People have always been saved by belief. And the people that were destroyed and didn't go to heaven were people that, it says in our passage, she didn't perish, she perished not with them that believed not. That's the difference right there. And so... It was not as though others did not have the opportunity. Those that perish believe not. Salvation has been available to anyone who would believe on God at any time in history. The problem is people don't want to believe in God. Yes. 
and people didn't believe in God. But when people would believe in God, they would be saved. Let's look at the next person, Ruth. We'll have to move through these pretty quick. Ruth the Moabitess. Uh, go to Ruth chapter 1. <clears throat> in Ruth uh, chapter 1, it's in verse 16, it says, And she, that is Naomi, her mother-in-law, and she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Notice that. Your sister has gone back to her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. I don't have time to get into the background of this. I, I hope that you guys are familiar with the story of Ruth. But she says, return thou after thy sister-in-law. And notice what Ruth said. A pagan Gentile said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. And it didn't stop there. She didn't become a Jew because she said, and thy people will be my people. And so she integrated herself into Jewish society and she became a Jew by integrating, identifying with their ethnicity. No. The key was, she says, where you go, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people and thy God shall be yes. my God. And when she came to that point where she turned her back, she repented, and she turned her back on her family, like I talked about last Sunday, and she turned her back on her pagan idols, and she was willing to leave her country and go and be with Naomi in a godly nation, in a more godly than the Moabites. They were wicked. The Jews were wicked, by the way, most of their history. But the, the reality is, is, if there were godly people, they were usually in the land of Israel. And she said, thy people will be my people. And she wanted to identify with the Lord God of Israel. And thy God shall be my God. And when that Gentile repented of her sin and in her heart determined to follow Naomi and thy God shall be my God, then that Gentile became a child of God. <clears throat> Just as much so, by the way, as Naomi was. Yes. Right. and Boaz, and David, and everybody else. And so she ended up becoming, she didn't know this at this time, but how good is God? He plucks people up out of the lowest of lows. Oh, yes. Some pagan girl in a pagan country with no hope at all. And she ends up becoming the great-grandmother of King David. Imagine that. See, God still, this is going to sound so trivial but God still had it in him to love Gentiles during the time of Israel and he God loved Ruth and had a great plan for her God used her then what about David's Philistine friends this is something that I had never noticed before uh, go to 2nd Samuel chapter 15 and that in itself might sound really strange I mean isn't David the one that killed Goliath and David hated the Philistines and he did everything in his power during his when he was king to destroy the Philistines how could he have Philistine friends? And, uh, oh, remember, David was a godly man. And David, especially after he was king, and the, the passage that, I'll just say this, the passage that we're going to be looking at is well after, years after he's been on the throne. And he's been leading the nation of Israel. And yet he still had Philistine friends. I mean, people that were close, close to him. He was not the kind of person who would make his closest friends 
They weren't going to be ungodly. They weren't still going to be worshiping Dagon in Israel, in Jerusalem. But he had some of his Philistine friends, his closest acquaintances, in Jerusalem. And so, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 17. Now, this is when David is fleeing Jerusalem. Uh, Absalom is uh, uh, trying to take the throne from his father. And David flees Jerusalem. And it says, And the king went forth and all the people after him and tarried in a place that was far off. And all his servants passed on beside him. And all the Cherethites and the Pelethites, these were uh, David's bodyguards, and all the Gittites, notice these people, the Gittites, 600 men which came after him from Gath, passed on before the king. Then said the king to Ittai the Gittite, Wherefore goest thou also with us? Return to thy place and abide with the king. And notice what um, is said here. For thou art a stranger and also an exile. Whereas thou camest but yesterday, should I this day make thee go up and down with us? Now, in studying this out, that doesn't mean that he came to Jerusalem yesterday. What he's trying to point out is, listen, I'm fleeing, I'm the king of Israel, and I'm fleeing Jerusalem, and there's a civil war that's going to break out. Go home. You don't need to come with me. Take your children and your wives and 600 men that are there, and take and, and go, you can go home. Um, he says, because you're, 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 uh, um, you're not regular, actually a citizen. <laughs> you're, you're not in this fight. You're a, you're, a, um, you're a Philistine. This is a civil war. He says, for thou art a stranger and also an exile. Whereas thou camest but yesterday, should I this day make thee go up and down with us? Seeing I go whither I may, return thou and take back thy brethren. Mercy and truth be with thee. And notice what Ittai says. And Ittai answered the king and said, As the Lord liveth, as Jehovah liveth, and as my lord the king also liveth, surely in what place my lord the king shall be, whether in life or death, even there will I be thy servant. And David said to Ittai, Go and pass over. And Ittai the Gittite passed over, and all his men, and notice this, and all the little ones, that were with him. So it wasn't that he showed up yesterday because all their children were with him and all this. And in, and in studying this out, these were men from Gath. And um, David had been down. Remember when he was fleeing Saul? He, David had his own city in Ziklag. David for a while went out and fought for the Philistines and all that. And he almost got caught up in a really, it was a very difficult situation when the Philistines were going to go to fight Israel. And David was going to go fight. He was, he was close enough with some of them. He was going to go fight. He was going to go fight Israel for the Philistines. And however it came out. And the Philistines are the ones that told him, no, we don't want you here. We don't trust you. Some of them did. As a result of that, though, in his time there, I believe that David's testimony, some of those men that oh, uh, were the closest to him, that he established relationships with, when David became king of Israel, they ended up coming. He's in Jerusalem here. Years and years later, he's in Jerusalem. These men are, are strangers and exiles living there with David. And when David flees, they're going with him. And he confesses with his mouth. It almost sounds like Ruth, doesn't it? Right. As Jehovah liveth, where you go, that's where I'm going. He didn't want to go back to the land of the Philistines. There's almost maybe a message in there somewhere. But, <laughs> oh, he didn't want to go back to his homeland. He was okay with being a 
pilgrim and a sojourner, if you will. And he wanted to be with David. And uh, um, civil war or not, live or die, take my friends and family, you're going to be on the run. Where you go, I'm going. I believe that Ittai and some of the other men with him loved the same, loved the God of Israel just as much as uh, David did. And so, oh, <clears throat> the next one that I want to look at is one that we're very familiar with, the Naaman the Syrian. Uh, go to 2 Kings chapter 5. <clears throat> Naaman, the Syrian leader of the military, whose leprosy was healed. And he vowed to worship only God from that day forward. So here's God saving somebody, not just physically during this life, but God saved this man. He repented of his sins. He repented of his former gods. He determined in his heart, we'll see in this passage, he determines in his heart that he is going to live and he is going to worship from this day forward. It is going to be different. That's repentance. Right. And so um, uh, we see here uh, repentance from idolatry. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 15. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him and said, and this is Elisha that he's going back before. He says, Behold now, I know that there is no God in all the earth but Israel. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just a mental ascent. I know that God is real. You know, like a lot of people acknowledge that Jesus is real and God is real. There must be a God. No. He says, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. That he said, as the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And Naaman said, shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules burden of earth? For thy servant will henceforth... Notice his vow here. Thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. From this day forward, I'm only going to offer burnt sacrifices unto the Lord. In this thing, and he's asking Elisha, in this thing the Lord pardon thy servant, that um, when my master goeth into the house, so when he, the king of his land, when my master goeth into the house of Rimmon to worship there, and he leaneth upon my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, when I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. And Elisha said unto him, Go in peace. So he's acknowledging, he's saying, From here on, I'm, I'm not going to worship my gods. I'm not going to, I'm going to offer sacrifice only unto the Lord of God of Israel, Jehovah. But you know how it works. When I go in and the king is going to, you know, lean on me. And when he worships and he bows down, when I bow down, I'm not worshiping. Just, I just pardon me this physical activity that I'm going to be doing in that idolatrous house but I'm not going to be worshiping. And we see here that Naaman was not just healed physically. Sometimes in, when we look in the Gospels and we see that Jesus healed people, we're kind of, well, I don't know whether they were really saved or not. Maybe they were just healed. But this is an instance where this man was healed. He repented of his sin. He acknowledged who God was. He, he declared, I am going to serve the Lord only from this day forward. Isn't that kind of what happens when People repent and 
confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus yes. and they're baptized, given a testimony from yes. this day forward, it's different. Um, I've repented and I trust in the Lord for my salvation. What about Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the king of Babylon? Uh, Daniel chapter 4. Uh, Daniel chapter 4, verse 1. <clears throat> and most of us understand how Nebuchadnezzar was used to go in and carry away the children of Israel captive. Um, God used him to judge Israel. Um, it was God that used him to uh, expand the empire. It was all God's, God's purpose. And, and Nebuchadnezzar had lifted himself up in pride and he said, look, look at all these things that I have done. Man, I mean, he was, if there was ever a, an old school Donald Trump, that was it. I mean, the, one of the things that was so disgusting to me about Donald Trump when he was running before and during his presidency is that he's just constantly, I got sick of it. He's always talking about what he's done, and I did this, and I've done this, and, I've, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And I cringe because for a leader of a nation to be like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I know how God is and I know who God is and God hates pride and it's scary. And uh, Americans can fall into that trap where they think they're invincible. And uh, um, well, here's Nebuchadnezzar and he was like that and, and God, uh, God uh, um, took care of him and he lost his mind. And uh, when he came back to... And uh, God gave him his God gave him his mind back. Um, it says here in Daniel chapter four and verse one, Nebuchadnezzar the king, unto all the people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show you the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought towards me. How great are his signs, and how mighty are his wonders! His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. I Nebuchadnezzar was at rest in my house. And flourishing in my palace. And then he gives his, as we would call it, he gives his personal testimony of how he came to know God personally. And then go down to verse 34. His confession continues. And he says, And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes unto heaven. Mine understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What doest thou? Wouldn't it be unbelievable if just one leader of any country in the world today would say that and acknowledge God for being who he is? That would be unbelievable. What an amazing thing. And here Nebuchadnezzar is as the leader of a Gentile nation. Declaring these things. Oh, at the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me. And my counselors and my lords sought unto me. And I was established in my kingdom. And excellent majesty was added to me. Notice he doesn't say, I seized it back. He said it was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. All whose works are truth. And his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. That was his personal testimony. And he concluded his praise of God with those that walk in pride, God is able to abase. That's what I mean when I say, when I see how people in this country are, God is able to abase. Yes. 
And then look at, um, let's consider Darius. Uh, Daniel chapter 6. A later king that Daniel is still uh, serving while in exile. It says in, in Daniel 6.25, Then King Darius wrote unto all the people, nations, and I want you to keep this in mind for the message later, but the, the godly people, the godly leaders in Israel wanted all the world to know that there is a God in Israel. When David went out to fight Goliath, was that not his concern? That they may know that there is a God, that they may know that we serve the living God, and oh, and there's a testimony. Israel was to be a testimony Israel's to be a testimony to all the other nations, not so that they could all just know that they're condemned, but that they might know that there is a God. Yes. They, the church today has a mission, and that is to spread the gospel. And the nation of Israel was supposed—they were supposed to be a light and to know um, they were to be an example to other nations, and um, other nations were to know that who the true and the living God was. Um, and here, so here's a. Here is a Gentile king who ends up, he writes to all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. He had, a, he had a vast empire, and he's writing to them. Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and steadfast forever, and his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth. He worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. I've often wondered, we have no idea. We have no idea um, how many Gentiles may have come to um, respect and worship and honor the king of heaven, the king of kings, the, king, the god of Nebuchadnezzar. The God of Darius. How many people ended up repenting of their sin and their wicked lives? So how many people gave up their idolatry during the time that Israel was captive? And personally, it wouldn't have been the majority, but is it possible that in towns here and there, there was a few scattered people whose households were like, we're not worshiping these gods anymore. We're worship the God of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. We don't know. God doesn't say, but we know that this is an incredible testimony by Gentiles about the God of Israel. Yes. And, uh, well, would God save a whole bunch of people? Would God save Gentiles? It's one thing to save Nebuchadnezzar and Ruth. and Yeah, in the Old Testament, this is how people dismiss it. Well, in the Old Testament, you know, especially during the time of the Jews, um, God would save... Uh, save Gentiles, but it would just be one here and one there, and you know, maybe one every hundred years or something like that. Um, but um, God did save on a mass scale. Yes. Does anything come to mind, maybe? Um, let's talk about Nineveh. What about Nineveh? Jonah. Jonah chapter 3 and, uh, and verse 4. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. This is a wicked Gentile city. And I've preached messages here before about how God holds, God has always held nations accountable. 
cities accountable, wicked, go to Sodom, Gomorrah. God didn't just chasten the nation of Israel. God chastened the, one of the, when Israel went into the land and took over the land, one of the things that God was doing was he was punishing those ungodly people for all their ungodly deeds. And, uh, um, And so God has always paid attention to the wickedness of Gentiles. It's not like, oh, they got a free pass because they were Gentile. Not at all. And so God was about to destroy, completely wipe out and destroy the city of Nineveh. But God is a merciful God, and he sent them a warning. And uh, he sent them uh, Jonah the prophet. And so he went in, and he's preaching, saying, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And remember what the key was with Rahab? Rahab believed God, and the city of Jericho believed not. Notice what it says here. So the people of Nineveh believed God. It starts with belief and faith. What followed their belief and their faith in God of Israel? Uh, They quit sinning. They repented of their sins. So it says, So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and he laid his robe from him and covered himself with sackcloth and satin ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let every man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry unto, cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one, notice this, let, it, let him turn every one from his evil way. It wasn't just... Pray unto this God and beg Him for mercy. No. They believed God and then they turned. It was required that they turn from their evil way. On an individual basis. Each individual person at the... Yes, the king is commanding and instructing that they do this, but it was was on the part of every man, woman, teenager. Repent of the evil that you are committing, and, and cry mightily unto God in the process. And so, um, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not. And you go to Jonah chapter 4 and verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was very angry and he prayed unto the lord and said i pray thee O lord was this not my saying sometimes we wonder why did jonah run and end up in the belly of the whale and all that oh was it because he was a lazy preacher was it because he didn't want to travel that far well no he didn't want to go to nineveh because he knew that god was a merciful god and he wanted the people of in they were the enemies of israel he wanted them destroyed yes and he, he said, didn't I say this when I was yet in my own country? Therefore fled I before unto Tarshish. For I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. God says later in verse 11, go down to 11. Should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, where more than... Six score thousand persons, more than 60,000 persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left and also much cattle. 
And so, um, here we have what, I think what we see here is Jonah knew, Jonah knew that it didn't matter whether people were Jew or Gentile. This is a real takeaway that I want us to have this morning. Jonah knew, as a Jew, he knew that God is a merciful God. Yes. And he wasn't going to preach to a bunch of Jews. In fact, Jonah preaching to a bunch of Jews would have been unsuccessful at that time. Think about how successful was Jeremiah. I mean, when Israel was living in sin, uh, preaching to the Jews was very frustrating. They were wicked people. No. And Jonah, though, he still knew that God is a merciful God. And if God is sending me to go preach to these people, then there's a real likelihood that something's going to happen. <laughs> he didn't want that to happen. And so uh, he let his prejudice and his bias and his hatred yes. for other people keep him from going because he knew that God was a gracious God. And the takeaway is God is a gracious God in all times of history. God has had his purposes. Just like now, the gospel message is primarily for the Gentiles. But it's not only for the Gentiles, it's right. also good enough for the Jews. Right. But God is primarily dealing with the Gentiles. In the Old Testament, God was saving Gentiles, but God had a purpose. I mean, the Jew, God used the nation of Israel to, to pin, the, pin the Word of God. Um, I mean, you could go on and on and on about the different ways, the different ways that God had a reason for having those people. And so, um, keep these things in mind. This is really just kind of an introduction to get us thinking about who did Christ come to save, seek, and to save. Amen.